Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I became a follower of Jesus when I was a freshman in college. I had been raised in a Christian family, but I did not come to know Jesus personally until I was a freshman in college. You know, being around Christianity and being a Christian are not the same thing. I want to say that again because I want you to hear me very clearly. Being around Christianity and being a Christian are not the same thing. I was raised around Christianity. I had relationships with a lot of Christian people, but that didn't make me a Christian. Being around it and being it are not the same thing. I've heard people say, well, I've, I've just always been a Christian. Well, no, you haven't. <laughs> Nobody's always been a Christian. We become a Christian when we're born again through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that happened for me as a freshman in college. But because I had been raised around Christianity, I made a mistake early on in my Christian journey of confusing spiritual maturity with spiritual activity. The more spiritual things you do, the more spiritual you are, is what I thought. Because I went to church, and I watched other people, and I watched the way that they lived for the Lord, they were faithful to God, and so I thought, man, in order to be a good Christian, i got to try really hard to do all the right things and not do all the wrong things, and that became the consuming passion of my life. I read Henry Blackaby one day, and here's what he said. Look on the screen. He said, We are so activity-oriented that we assume we are saved for a task to perform rather than for a relationship to enjoy. And really that statement epitomized the first decade of my spiritual journey of walking with God. I thought I had been saved to do something. And the focus of my life was spiritual performance, trying to measure up, trying very hard to live the Christian life. I don't know if anybody in the room can identify with me or not, but that's where I was, trying hard to be a good Christian. And guess what? No matter how hard I tried, I never was a, I never got to a point where I said, whew, I finally made it. I never arrived there. And because I was caught in this, there were some verses in the Bible that i got to be honest with you, they didn't make sense to me at all. Let me show you a couple of them. For starters, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to what Jesus said. 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, say it out loud. That's a good word, amen? Say that word again. Anybody need some rest? Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Then look what he said. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, he said it again, rest for your soul, for my yoke is, say it out loud, and my burden is, what? You hear those three words? Rest. Easy. Light. How do those three words measure up with your experience of Christian living? Because for the first decade of my Christian life, you could not have picked three words that were more the opposite of what I was trying to live. Mine wasn't rest, it was work. Mine wasn't easy, it was hard, and it wasn't light, it was a burden. If you said describe Christianity, I'd have said work, hard, and burden. Because I was working hard, I was trying, I was using all the willpower that I could muster to be what I thought was a good, faithful Christian. Rest, easy, and light were as far removed from my life as the moon is from us right now. Anybody else in the room ever found that way? Let me show you another verse. John 8. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you. Say it out loud. Free. What a great word. Come to Jesus, and he'll set you what? Say it out loud. Free. I didn't feel freedom. Let me tell you what I felt for the first decade of following Jesus. I felt bondage. A bondage to perform. I thought Jesus had brought me to himself and given me eternal life, and now it's my responsibility to live for him. And if that wasn't bad enough in my own life, at this point I was already leading others in ministry, and I was teaching others this rest, easy, light, free living that I wasn't experiencing myself. Then it happened for me in a period of spiritual brokenness. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, you know what I mean when I say a season of brokenness. A place where God brings you to one of those moments that's kind of the end of yourself, where you have nothing left but Him to come to that amazing realization that He's enough. That's what happened for me. I won't go through all the details of how I got there, but I hit this place of brokenness, and in that brokenness, God brought a a man into my life that began to disciple me. If you're a regular attender here at Hope, you've heard me call his name many times. His name is Clyde Cranford. Probably never heard of him unless you're a tender at Hope, but Clyde is the guy that's now home with the Lord. He died as a young man in his mid-40s, just a man that walked with God. Clyde was so in tune with the Holy Spirit of God in his life. Matter of fact, here's how he died. They found Clyde sitting in his living room with his Bible open, his pen in his hand, his notebook and his journal in his living room. He's just being with the Lord one minute here, and the next minute he's with the Lord. That's how they found him. That's how he died. 
just a man that knew what it was to walk with God. And Clyde saw me in this place of brokenness, and he said, Vance, I'd like to spend some time with you. And he started coming to my office once a week for a couple of hours and just pouring into my life. And one of the life-changing principles that Clyde taught me, I'll put it on the screen, I shared it with you last weekend, he taught me that the primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on my life is to be with Jesus. What he'd invited me into was not a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. What he'd invited me into was an intimate love relationship with the God who made me. And everything God desired to do through my life, He would do out of the overflow of that love relationship. Meaning this, that the relationship wasn't the starting line and then I stepped into living the Christian life. No, the relationship is the whole deal. The whole goal is the relationship. And then everything else in my life flows out of that personal fellowship relationship with God. So last weekend, I gave you a couple of goals of the Christian life. And I really want to, give, I want to give them to you again just to remind you that if you want to summarize Christianity and Christian living in two goals, here it is. Number one, the big picture overall goal is to know God. To know God. So if that's the big picture goal, he said this is eternal life, that they may know you. The big picture goal is to just know God. God's invited us into relationship with himself so that we now and into eternity can know God. If that's the big picture goal, then here's the daily goal. The daily goal is to spend time with God. And hear me. That's it. That's the whole Christian life right there. To know God by spending time with God. Here's what that means. You know why you're here today. You're not at church because they keep attendance records in heaven. And God is, oh yeah, he's here today. We can check that off. We're we're so glad that he came this morning. He's got his attendance record still going. Let's keep that marked. We don't, we're not here today because I've got to come to church to be a good Christian and to show God. I, no, let me tell you why I'm here today. We're here today because together we get to be with Him. And together God speaks into our lives in community. And we grow to know Him. Why do we have a quiet time every day? Why do we strive to set aside time daily to just be alone with God? Do I set aside time daily to be alone with God because I have to do that to be a good Christian? No. He's inviting me into a relationship with himself so that I could be with him. I don't read the Bible because I have to, to earn God's favor. We read the Bible to be with him. The whole Christian life is knowing God by being with him through Jesus. You know what that is? Rest. Easy. Light. You know what that is? It's freedom. I'm free to be with Him. And what I want to do is dig a little deeper on this idea of spending time with him by asking a big question of the morning. Here's the big question. Why is spending time with him so 
important? Why is being with Him such a big deal? And in honor of the political season that we're in, I'm going to answer that question by asking some other questions, all right? Isn't that what every good politician does? Well, let me answer that by asking you this, right? So I'm going to answer the big question by asking some more questions. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask some questions that I, listen carefully, do not. Say do not. Say do not. Do not. I do not want you to answer out loud. Okay? Now, when I answered these questions, it was me and Clyde in a room by ourselves. I was not given the privilege of not answering out loud, so I miserably failed the test, okay? What I don't want you to do is, you're gonna, when, I, when I hear when you hear the question, you're going to want to answer out loud. Don't do it, because then everybody's going to go, what a weirdo, right? No, don't do it. So here's the first question. Does a Christian want to sin? Does a Christian, don't, 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 I know you want to, don't, don't answer. Does a Christian want to sin? Now, when Clyde asked me that sitting across the desk from me, my immediate response was, well, of course I do. I mean, if I didn't want to sin, sin would not be tempting. The reason it is temptation is because I want to do it. And Clyde began to gently and lovingly tell me, well, that's sort of true. In your flesh, there is still a longing for the things of this world. But now the Spirit of God dwells in you. And Christ has changed you on the inside so that now in your heart of hearts, you really don't want to sin. And he said, here's the proof. When you do choose to sin, how do you feel about that? And I sat there and I thought, you know, when I do choose to sin against God, man, immediately, you know what I realized? That's not what I want anymore. My flesh lied and said it was. But as soon as I grab whatever that is, as soon as, soon as I dabble in whatever that temptation is, as soon as I lay hold of it, immediately I realize, you know what? That's not really what I want. Christ has to now. Now, what he's done on the inside, he's still perfecting, and it's coming out in my life on a daily basis. He's growing me in Christ's likeness, but on the inside, positionally, he's changed me before God so that now I no longer want to sin. Let me tell you what I want now. I want to please God. I want to pursue His righteousness. I want His holiness. I want the character of Christ in my life. Now, I don't always perfectly achieve that, but that's now the God-given desire that He's placed in me and in every follower of Jesus. So the answer to the question is no. As a Christian now, I genuinely don't want to sin. So then He, then he asked me a second question. He said, okay, man, a Christian doesn't want to sin. Does a Christian have to sin well he said before you answer I want you to listen to a couple of verses look at these verses on the screen Romans chapter 6 verse 6 and 7 knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is say it out loud freed from sin. Then he said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, look at this verse. 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is, say it out loud, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure. Here's what he said. The Word of God said, in every moment of temptation, in every moment of weakness in my life, it's not about my faithfulness, it's about the faithfulness of God. And God is always faithful to provide in every moment of temptation by His Holy Spirit through His grace a way of escape so that you and I in every temptation have the possibility in Christ to experience victory over our sin. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I was thinking the same thing. I was sitting there in front of Clyde with my brand new seminary degree hanging on the wall behind me. And I was thinking, well, what about my depravity? You say, what in the world does the word depravity mean? Well, the word depravity means that apart from the grace of God, we would all run headlong into every form of wickedness. And that's true. Mankind comes into this world depraved. That's why you don't have to teach little boys and girls how to do bad. You have to teach them how to do what? Good. The bad comes what? natural. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. They know that. You don't have to teach them to kick and pull hair and spit on somebody. That all comes naturally, right? You got to teach them to be good. We come into this world depraved, and that is true. By our nature, our nature of sin, we do not have the ability, apart from the grace of God, to please God and live for God. But listen, did you hear the definition? Apart from the grace of God, we would all run headlong into every form of wickedness. As a follower of Jesus, you and I never have to live apart from the grace of God. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5 says it is that grace in which we now stand as a follower of Jesus you have been rooted and planted in the amazing grace of God that is always available to you and I to give us victory over temptation let me show you another verse of scripture 2nd Peter chapter 1 look what it says seeing that his divine power has granted to us say the next word out loud say it again seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. When did this happen? Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Here's what that means. The moment you came to know Jesus Christ, the moment through the true knowledge of Christ you were born again into relationship with God, God gave you by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God Everything you need to live a victorious Christian life. Everything. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go to some class. We don't have to have some experience. The moment you were born, the Bible says the instant that you gave your life to Christ, God supernaturally by His divine power gave you everything you need to live a victorious Christian life. So, the answer is no. A Christian doesn't want to sin, and a Christian doesn't have to sin. So then Clyde looked at me, and he said, Vance, i got one more question to ask you. And I'm going to tell you before I ask it, this question hurt me in a good way, but it hurt me. Here's what he said. If as a Christian you don't want to sin anymore... And as a Christian, you don't have to sin. Then why do we sin? As honest as I can be, by this point, 
in my time with Clyde, I had missed every question, so I wasn't saying anything else. I was done answering out loud, but the reality was I didn't know the answers. And so he said, Vance, I want you to open your Bible, and that's what I want you to do. Open your Bible to John chapter 14, verse 15, and I want to put a verse of Scripture up on the screen because he said, Vance, the answer to that question is this verse. Look what it says. Read it out loud with me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let me tell you the way I heard that verse for most of my life growing up. Now, I'm not saying it's the way they taught it. I'm just telling you it's the way my ears perceived it. Here's the way I heard that verse. If you love me, you better obey me. It's the way most religion packages this verse as it relates to God. If you love God, then you better change the way you live. If you love God, then you better do this and this and this and this and this. And if you love God then you better not do this and this and this. That's the way I heard that verse for most of my life. Now, when you hear the verse that way, the focus of your life begins to be obedient. You begin to try. I've got to show God that I love Him by performing. I've got to show God that I love Him through my obedience. I've got to show God that I love Him by doing all the right things and not doing all the wrong things. And when you focus on obedience, how's that work out for you? Because where I was was the harder I tried, the worse it seemed to get. Can I tell you what that verse really says? Here's what the verse really says. If you love me, (laughs) you'll keep my commandments. Emphasis, not on keep my commandments. Emphasis on Do you love me? Now, when you hear it like that, that changes the pursuit. Now the pursuit is not obedience. Obedience is not the focus of... Listen, I'm not saying obedience is not important, but get this. Obedience is now not the focus of my life. Obedience is the fruit of my life that happens as I pursue and focus on intimate fellowship with my Father because as I love Him, He produces obedience in and through my life. If you love me. You see, our obedience is in direct proportion to our love. means this, if I got an area of obedience in my life that I'm struggling with, it's not an obedience problem. It's an intimacy problem. Because here's what it says. I just happen to love that more than I love him. When Clyde told me that, He said it this way. He said, Vance, you know why you struggle and sin in those areas? He said, Vance, it's because you don't love God. 
And when he said it, I got to be honest with you, I got very angry. I mean, like, want to come across the desk and clean out your teeth angry. I was mad. I was furious. And here's why I was so furious. How dare you? How dare do you? Have you not seen the last decade of how hard I've tried to please God? How dare you? You know what the problem was? It was right there in the book. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Just That just happens. That's just the overflow of loving me. I want to put it up on the screen in a little paradigm that I want to draw for you. Put the word sin at the top. And I've said so far that we sin because we don't love God. And when, when Clyde said that, and when I say it to you, I'm not saying that we don't love God at all. What he was saying was that when I choose to sin against God, when I have areas where I struggle and areas of obedience, where I wrestle with those things, where I have weaknesses, here's the reality. I just love those things more than I love him. Because here's what I found. I can't pursue him and that at the same time. Track with me for a second. Whatever that is that you struggle, whatever that area is, if I start pursuing him, guess what I found? I can't pursue that and him at the same time. When I'm pursuing him, guess what happens? That gets left behind. Now, in the moment, I can try to muster up all the willpower of what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> How's that work out? Remember when you were a little kid and they said, Don't touch that button. For some reason, we come into this world wired. Now everything in me wants to touch that button. I got to touch that button. When we say, don't do this, everything in our flesh says, I got to do that. Jesus didn't say, don't, 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 don't. He said, pursue me. And when I pursue him, guess what? The things of this world, the old hymn writer said, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's not that we don't love him at all. It's that we don't love him like we could love him. Well, that leads to another question. Why don't we love him more? Let me give you the answer. Because we don't know God. And again, I'm not saying it's that we don't know God at all. We don't know him like we could know him. Let me illustrate it. May the 23rd, 1992. May the 23rd, 1992. I stood in front of a congregation of people just like this, all dressed up, in my tuxedo, with my bride-to-be in her dress, and I stood in front of a congregation like this, and I declared to them and her and the Lord my love for my wife-to-be. I said, Christy, I love you. And May the 23rd, 1992, I meant that with all of my heart. But listen to me. I love her today like I could have never loved her in 1992. 
because I know her today like I could not have known her in 1992. And the more I've grown to know her, the more I've grown to love her. You know the problem with most Christians? Our knowledge of God begins and ends with the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand me. The gospel is good news. Amen? Hey, the gospel is good news. Amen? John 3, 16. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. Glory to God. That's good news. Amen? That's one verse. He gave us 66 books. And the rest is not filler. You see, God wrote this so that you could know about His love. God wrote this so that you could know about His sovereignty. God wrote this so that you could know about His grace. God wrote this so that you could know about His faithfulness. God wrote this as a love letter so that you could know about His goodness. God wrote this so that you and I could daily have intimate fellowship with God and the Word of God become a centerpiece of a conversation between me and my Father. God invites us to know Him. Well, raises another question. Why don't we know Him more? Well, here's the answer. We don't spend time with God. What's made the difference? I said a moment ago that I love my wife today like I could have never loved her in 1992. What's made the difference? Well, almost 24 years, right? In 24 years of marriage, let me tell you what's happened. We've spent a lot of time together. I know my wife today as a life partner, as a mother, as a faithful follower of Jesus. I know so much more about her because we've spent so much time together the more I've grown to know her the more I love her what if what if I'd gone to my wife 1991 November when I asked her to marry me and what if I had said Christy I got down on one knee babe I want to ask you to be my wife and here's how it's going to look Every Sunday morning, I'm going to come see you. <laughs> hour, hour and a half. Unless there's a ball game on, then I... Or if the weather's bad, or I just feel like sleeping in. But other than that, every Sunday, you can count on it. I'll be there. And Christy, I love you so much. One night a week, I'm going to have a few people over to my house in a group, and we're going to invite you to come. Now, other than that, we're not going to spend much time together. Oh, 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 
unless I need something. Now, now if I need something, you're going to know I'm here. If I need something, I will. Matter of fact, if I need something, I'm not only going to call you. I'm going to have all my friends call you to get your attention so that you can know that I need something. And when I need something, I need it right now. Now, we're laughing about that, right? Because that's what? That's ridiculous. No woman in her right mind would accept a marriage proposal like that, and no man in his right mind would make one in arm's reach of that woman, right? (laughs) Why? Because that is not a love relationship. You can never know anybody like that. Now, we laugh about it. God, I want to give you my life. God, I want Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. I want everything in my life to revolve around you, Jesus. Oh, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And here's the deal, I'm going to come once a week. If everything works out. And listen, then we wonder why we struggle in this thing called the Christian life. Here's why we struggle. Because he invited us into relationship. And you can't develop a relationship without time spent. You can't put God in a Sunday morning small group box and expect to live the victorious Christian abundant life that he's invited us into. Because that abundant victorious life happens out of the overflow of the relationship. And the only way to cultivate the relationship is to spend time together. So then why don't we spend more time with the Lord? Well, here's the reason. We don't see the need. We don't see the need. Let me try to illustrate it for you. How many of you would say today that spending time with God daily is a good thing to do? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a second. All right? That's what I thought. Put them down. How many of you would say that spending time with God daily would benefit and bless my life. Let me see. Hold your hand up. You believe it's good, right? It bless my life. Amen. Put them down. How many of you believe that spending time with God daily is an absolute necessity? Let me see your hand. Oh. Put them down quick. Because you don't believe what you just said. You see, the lives we live don't reflect what we just said with our hands to be. We just said it's an absolute necessity. No, it's not. The way we live says it's not. Here's what we really believe. Spending time with God daily is a really, 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 really good option. But I don't have to. I mean, I can live today without it. I can make it this week on my own. You know the problem with that thinking? Jesus said just the opposite. Here's what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You know the problem? We think he said apart from me, you can't do big things. Because let big things come into your life, and guess what? You now got time to spend with Jesus. But if it's just a regular, ordinary, everyday, kind of -of run-of-the-mill week, it's a good option. No, Jesus said nothing. Here's what that means. Today I will fail as a husband apart from Christ in me. Today I will fail as a father, 
apart from Christ in me. Today I will fail as a pastor apart from Christ in me. Today I will fail as a friend apart from Christ in me. Today I will fail miserably as a follower of Jesus Christ because apart from Him I can do nothing. But through Him I can do all things. How many of you breathe every day? Yeah, right? If you don't breathe today, you're going to stop living, right? You stop breathing, you stop living. You stop living, we'll carry you out of here when the service is over. Amen? That's right, when it's over. We're too busy right now. If you stop breathing, you're not in a hurry. So you can wait till we're done. You don't even have to think about breathing, right? Why? Because if you stop breathing, you stop living. It's, it's an absolute necessity. You just breathe. How many of you going to eat today? Right? Yeah, most of us, one, two, three, four, five, six times today, we're going to eat, right? Why do we eat every... You stop eating, you stop living. It's a necessity. Listen to what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's what that means. Today, I need God as much as I need breath in my body. I need God as much as I need food in my body. I, today, am desperate for God. We often don't see the need. We think it's an option. And here's the last rung on this paradigm. Why don't we see the need? Well, we don't see the need because of pride. Let me tell you what pride says. Pride says to God, God, I don't need you. Now, I don't think anybody in the room is bold enough this morning to have pulled out of your driveway and said, God, I don't need you today. I'm good. But listen, every day that we go through the day without being with him, here's what we're in essence saying with our lives. God, I don't need you today. I can do this on my own. I got four kids. Oldest is 22. Youngest is about to be 12. My four kids, when they were preschoolers, toddlers, they all went through that first stage of independence. They come, I found, regularly. But the first stage begins at two, three years old. And in my house, it always seemed to begin with the tying of the shoes. Here's what it would look like. Everybody's loaded up in the van. We're trying to get in the car, trying to get somewhere, got somewhere to be. Come here, sweetie, let me put your shoes on. No! I'm going to do it myself. Now, I got just enough spite in me to say, all right, darling, go ahead. Hand them the shoes, and what does that look like, right? Train wreck. They do everything. They put them on backwards. They're wrapping laces around their legs. They're trying to do everything they can to get the, and they can't. Finally, they wind up throwing the shoe across the room, right? And after you let a few minutes go by in frustration, here they come. Daddy, will you help me? And then what do we do? We sit down. We put them in our lap. We take their little hands. We put them in ours. We say, sweetheart, here's what you do. You take this, you fold this one over, and you pull it through, and, and you make the loop, and you put your finger right here, and, and you pull that loop through, and you pull it tight. And then you let go, and she's sitting there, he's sitting there, and they're just holding their little laces, and they go, Daddy, look, I tied my shoe. Now, all the while, you know you tied that shoe. (laughs) 
but you did it through them. And you say, wow, sweetie, look at there. You tied your shoe. How many days is our Father waiting to manifest His very life in and through us? He's waiting to just take our hands in His, to take our feet, our mind, our heart, our bodies, and just live His life through us. And yet too often our attitude is, no, Daddy. I can do it myself. I don't need to be with you today. No big things on the agenda today. I can make it today on my own. And then what happens? We wind up throwing that whatever it is across the room, right, in frustration because we fail. And then we wind up crawling back in his presence. Daddy, I need you. Let me show it to the Bible. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives a greater grace. For God is opposed to the what? Say it out loud. Proud. The word opposed means to stiff arm. When you and I come to God and say, God, I got this. I don't need you. I'm good. Here's what God does. All right. Help yourself. And what does that look like? Failure, frustration, not measuring up, discouragement, despondency. But look what it says. But gives what? What's the word? Grace. Oh, what a good word. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace, grace is God doing for, in, and through me what I could not do on my own. That's grace. Grace is God doing for me. Grace is God doing in me. And grace is God doing through me what I do not have the capacity to do on my own. When I approach Him in humility and say, God, I need you. Lord, today I need to be with you. Here's what the Bible says He does. He just gives grace and grace. He says He gives a greater grace. He works through us for His glory. So let me flip the paradigm and just quickly run through it from the bottom up. We approach God with humility. Here's what humility says. Humility says, God, I need you. And let me just be real transparent, okay? Here's how that looks for me sometimes in my personal quiet time. I don't want you to think I wake up every day to the sound of angels singing and with this great desire to go spend time with God. There's a lot of days I wake up just like you. My calendar's full. I got stuff to do. The last thing I want to do is sit down and be with God. I'm ready to get on with the day. But here's the way mine begins sometimes. Lord, today, you know my heart. I don't really want to be here. But God, I know your word teaches me how much I need you. And so, Lord, even though I don't want to be here today, even though everything in my heart is wanting me to get up, walk away from this book, and go do something else. Lord, today I want to sit here and I want to open this book. And God, I need your grace to even open the You know, some days you sit there and it's hard to even open it. God, I need your grace to help me just open it today. 
Because here's what I know, Lord. Apart from you today, I can't do anything. And when we approach him like that, let me tell you what he does. Listen. Grace. He gives grace. And we begin to grow in seeing the need. We open that book and we begin to spend time with him. When we see the need, we spend time with God. The more we spend time with God, guess what? The more we know him. The more we know him, guess what? You like, get this. You're never going to learn anything about God you don't love. You're never going to learn anything about him you don't love. The more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, guess what happens? The things of this world grow strangely dim. Obedience. But not as the focus of my life. Obedience happens as the fruit of my life as I pursue intimacy with him. You know how simple that is? Here's the, here's the whole goal of the Christian life. Just be with him. Just be with him. You know what that is? Freedom. Freedom. No more bondage. No more measuring up. No more do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. Just be with Him. I want to close with a, another diagram I want to put up here because we hear something like this today, and let me tell you how we normally respond. I want to put the word temptation up on the screen. This really applies to any temptations. You can write this down on your notes there if you want to. But we're specifically talking about the temptation not to be with Him. Tomorrow morning, you and I are going to face a temptation to not be with the Lord. How do we respond to that temptation? Well, here's what we typically do. We hear a sermon like this. We go to some conference. We read some book about devotional life, spending time with God. And some of us have already said it in our heart. Mm, good night. That's so right. What he's saying, that is so dead on. That's so where I'm living right now. That is so true. So starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to do it. I'm going to carve out some time tomorrow morning, and I'm going to be with God. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to get my notebook. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to spend time with God. And here's what happens. For the next four, five, six, seven days, man, we do good. Matter of fact, next Sunday, some of you come walking in like this. Man, I spent time with God seven days this week. I did it. I'm doing it. And then what happens? We fail. We blow it. We miss a day, maybe two. And then we're all discouraged because we think, man, I could have done so much better. I could have done so much better. Why am I such a bad Christian? Why can't I live like everybody else? Why, why, don't, why do I always fail? Then drop that circle in. Put that back up there. Drop the circle in. We just keep repeating this over and over again. Because when we get discouraged like that, then we go, hear somebody else teach and we go to some bible conference or we go to some camp or some retreat we read some new book we go to some new small group and all of a sudden we hear this same thing again about being with the father and man that's so true god why didn't i get it last time i'm, I'm gonna do it this time this time I, i'm gonna get me an accountability partner this time they're gonna hold me accountable to daily spending time with god so this time man it's, this time maybe you make it two weeks three weeks a month then you go to Pastor Tom and say, Pastor Tom, I think I need to be leading a group in how to spend time with God because I've been going a month, hadn't missed a day. And then what happens is we fail again and we go back to those dark places of discouragement and despondency and depression spiritually. Why can't I do better? Clyde called it the merry-go-round of the flesh. 
You hear all the eyes. I could do better. I'm going to do it. You know what that is? That's seeing that and trying to willpower my way through it. Can I show you a better way today and we're going to be done? Put the same temptation up there. This time in the morning when you get up, here's where you start. Lord, I can't do it. Lord, in my strength, I won't. Lord, I know me. I wish I could tell you I am. I wish I could tell you I would. But Lord, in my strength, I won't. But God, here's what I know. In my weakness, your strength's made perfect. So God, I can't, but I know you can. And here's what happens. He gives grace. And when he gives grace, guess what happens? I experience victory. And when I experience victory in that area of my life, then I, then I come get around some other Christians and they go, man, something's changing in you. What's happening? It's not, well, I've got me a good system how to have quiet time. No, it's, hey, don't look at me. It's not me. It's Christ in me. And then God gets all the glory. Doesn't mean we're not still tempted. Doesn't mean stuff doesn't still come our way. Doesn't mean we don't start to battle our flesh. Here's what it means. I now got a new way, and it's not me. It's Christ in me. And I just put that circle back in there. Now I'm experiencing the ascending spiral of grace as I live moment by moment, surrendering, Lord, I can't. Lord, I won't. But God, I know you can. And so I'm trusting in you today. You know what needs to happen all across this building today? Some of you need to stop trying to live the Christian life. And just surrender yourself to Christ so that he can live his life through you. And that's rest. That's easy. That's light. That's freedom. Now let me read a couple of verses and we're done. Look back at John 14. I read to you verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus repeated that over and over in this chapter. Look down at verse 21. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. You hear it? He just said the same thing again. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Here's what that tells you. That's somebody who loves me. And look what he says. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You hear that? What does the word disclose mean? It means to make known. Here's what that means. The more I begin to pursue Christ and Christ begins to make himself known and I begin to love him and obedience is the fruit of my life, here's what, here's what happens next. He just makes himself more known. He makes himself more. And guess what? The more I know him, what happens? The more I love him. And the more I love him, guess what? The more he presses his life through me and it begins to look like obedience. Look down at verse 23. Jesus said it again. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And listen to what he says then. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. You hear the progression here, what's happening? Now he says, man, as this begins to grow out, here's, here's what I describe that as. This is a man or woman with God all over him. We'll make our abode with them. You ever been around somebody and just were like, man, God's just all over this person. What is that? Here's what it is. Intimacy with God. It's not that they do more spiritual stuff. They go to church more times. They've been to more Bible conferences. No, that's not the deal. They just be with the Lord. And God says, when I find somebody like that, 
I'm just going to manifest my presence all over their life. Then one last verse. Look at verse 31. Look what Jesus said. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Did you hear it? Jesus just said, here's my life. I love the Father. And so there's obedience that comes out of my life to the will of the Father. You know what we've described this morning? Can I give it to you in one word? Christ-likeness. The Christian life is just Christ-likeness. Jesus lived a life obeying the will of the Father out of the overflow of his love relationship with the Father. Guess what he's invited us into? A life of obedience to the will of the Father out of the overflow of our love relationship with him. Exact same thing. Exact same thing. Why is spending time with God so important? <laughs> there it is.